Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Martha Ann Toll, author of the debut novel, Three Muses. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Paul Harding wrote about the novel, Martha Ann Toll's Three Muses are those of song, discipline, and memory. In this beautiful, dark novel, she has choreographed the mysterious ways these forces push and pull and shape the lives of her characters. Lives of terrible loss and precious, if dismaying, survival. Through their dissonances, harmonies, deprivations, and recoveries. A meditation on history, music, the catastrophic inheritances of the Holocaust, and the so-common painful hiddenness of hope itself. Three Muses captivates the reader from the first page to the last. Martha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. I'm so happy to be here, and I really appreciate that lovely introduction. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your novel, Three Muses, how would you describe the novel? I describe it as a love story with complications. Um, three. I use the three muses that you just mentioned, song, discipline, and memory. To frame the book, about two people who collide in history. The first is um, when he is a boy, he is called Yanko, and as an adult, when he comes to the United States, he's called John. He survives in a concentration camp by singing as a young boy for the commandant of the camp where his mother and brother are murdered. Um, so song and music are terribly traumatic for him. They are the means to his survival, but also they represent the murder of his family. He makes his way to America, becomes a psychiatrist. He needs to heal himself before he can become a healer. And he falls in love with Katya Simonova, who cannot perform her work. Um, she is a prima ballerina, and she can't perform her work without music. So there's a huge conflict here um, between prima ballerina Katya Simonova and unbeknownst to John, Katya is in an abusive, complex, co-creation relationship with her choreographer, who is named Taurus Yanikov. I'm curious, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write Three Muses? Um, that, I'm glad you asked me if I remembered. Um, I started this in 2010, so it's a bit foggy. I know that I was Googling around to for a framework for a novel, and I accidentally found these three muses. When we are in elementary school and we study Greek mythology, we often hear of nine muses, which is the preeminent tradition that comes to us today. But in the region of Boeotia in Greece, there were only three muses. And when I realized what they were, song, discipline, and memory. Song is loosely associated with John. Discipline, which includes prayer and the practice of a priest um, getting ready to pray, is loosely associated with Kata the ballerina. And memory is the strongest that um, kind of informs all of their lives. It just was like a lightning bolt for me. I'm, I think other people might have not thought this was so thrilling, but it was thrilling for me because I already had the idea of a Holocaust survivor and a ballerina. And this seemed to be a way to tie them together and get them to meet. 
Interesting. And I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about your writing journey that led you to writing and getting Three Muses, which is your debut novel published? Sure. Um, And there are different ways to tell this story, but I always start with the origin, which is I grew up in a household with a lot of words. My Mm -hmm. mom was a professional copy editor in the days when way, way, way before the internet. So she always, she worked freelance from home and she always had galley proofs, you know, all over the dining room table with her sharp pencil and checking words and looking for plagiarism and non nonfiction and that kind of thing. Um, and she was very, very sharp and, you know, a, f- a full-time editor and reader and all of those things. My dad was a lawyer who cared deeply about the language. I think some of that was because his mother became almost completely deaf at his birth. And so he had had to learn how to speak very, very clearly and with precision. Um, he was also a spectacular writer. So writing was in the water supply, and I was one of those geeky kids that was always writing. I kept a diary, I kept a journal, I kept lists of vocabulary words. And I came to this kind of writing later in life, but I had always had a uh, deep interest in writing. I was always a fanatic reader, and I always wanted to get words on a page. And so what was your experience after after this lifetime of of reading and as you said being surrounded by parents who were immersed in in language and words what what was your experience as you as you kind of launched into writing your first novel which you said you started in 2010 Yes I have to clarify that a little bit um I always quote the Booker Prize winning Irish writer named Anne Enright, who said, if you meet a debut novelist, they're probably on their 16th novel. <laughs> so very true. <laughs> Three years is this my debut novel. I won't say it's my first novel. It's my first published novel. Sure. So I started writing um, novels in earnest in the late 90s, early aughts. And I um, think that like many, many writers, I had to have my 10,000 hours and hone my craft, which is really about putting your tush in a chair and just writing and reading as much as you can and revising. Um, So this is not my first novel. There are many, many in the drawer, but Mm -hmm. I'm very thrilled that it's my first published novel. That's great. And I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about that process of of working on for the lack of a better word, those novels that are in a drawer or trunked novels, as some people refer to them, what what kind of kept you going? I'm, I'm assuming that you really enjoyed the process. Yes. So I think in my life, um, this is the medium that I needed to find, and it took me a long time to find it. I started out studying ballet. I really had no talent, but as you can see, given this book, it made a deep, deep impression on me. And I'm very passionate about watching ballet. I love it. And I loved the experience of watching um, professional dancers rehearse, which I got to see as a child. I was really enthralled by that. And I still am. Um, The bulk of my artistic training was in music. I got serious about the viola during high school and majored in music in college and was headed for what I thought was a professional career in viola. And I decided um, through a number of bumps and, you know, those realizations you make when you're growing up that 
I probably should not pursue a professional career. I thought that I wouldn't have a level of choice that I wanted. So I went to law school and that has everything to do with words. I, I felt very confident uh, in a word-related profession. And I spent my professional career um, as a lawyer in social justice. So when I finally started writing fiction, I felt like I had all these words and I had had a lot of writing experience because all my jobs are very writing intensive. But it took a long time to understand how to manage a novel. Novels are huge. And there are so many things that you need to learn. Um, Examples that I think everybody struggles with are how much backstory to include, how to uh, not weight it down with too much backstory, what order do you tell the story in? How do you flesh out a character? Um, some of those are answered by some mantras that I have, one of which is um, specificity. The more specific you can get about everything, the more your story can flow from that. The Holocaust is a tragedy of epic proportions, but I felt that telling it through one person's specific experience might be more powerful. And you asked me what kept me going. And I think once I started, I felt like this was my calling. Like I had finally found the artistic medium that worked for me. And I haven't stopped writing since. I wrote, we can talk about, it. I wrote through a lot of rejection. And that, that was significant to me to get so much rejection and still want to keep writing. That's maybe another question. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm curious. I mean, because, um, you know, some people... Some people can't can't manage that, and and that's not like a criticism, but but it's just uh, to to manage that level of rejection is kind of overwhelming for some people. So I, I know, guess I was going to say it's probably a sign of mental health. <laughs> <laughs> so so I guess I mean what 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 were you what were you able to do to navigate that? Um, well, I always say this, and I want to say it in public. I had a tremendous amount of despair. It was um, uh, it was just difficult. So first of all, I was very helped by having a full-time job that I loved and so mm -hmm. a professional place where I was getting affirmation. I have a family. That's wonderful. But I think what got me through finally is the realization that particularly in fiction, rejection is what's normal. So sometimes I give younger writers the advice that you should go for 100 rejections a year, um, you know, just keep submitting. And once I realized that what's normal is rejection and the acceptance is so rare and so um, unusual that that's a great surprise when it happens, that was one thing that helped a lot in terms of my despair that I was doing all this work and nobody was reading it and it felt a little bit like the tree falling in the forest. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing I did to manage my, um, it, it was, it was despair to manage that was I began writing book reviews. I mean, I've always been a fanatic reader and I began book reviewing, I think around 2011 and I'm now very, um, ensconced in this. I review for the Washington post and NPR and, the um, Los Angeles Review for Books and other outlets. And that helped tremendously because first of all, it's a way to share books that you love. And it felt so good to be 
putting something out in the world that could support another writer and help them get started and share my love of reading and what I was reading. I loved it because I could lift up authors who might not have a chance at being reviewed, particularly authors of color and women. And I also loved getting a byline. I'm not I'm not shy about that. It was so <laughs> nice getting published. <laughs> it helped. Sure, sure. And as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, just to clarify, when you when you were talking about that despair and all of that rejection, were you were you getting most of that rejection from literary agents? Were you or were you submitting to publishers? What was that? Mm-hmm. So yes to all of the above. Right. I had um, three successive um, big name literary agents in New York, none of whom could sell the book that they accepted. So every I kept getting the advice that it's hardest to get a literary agent. I had th- twice I had two agents bidding on books that I wrote, including this one. Um, for reasons that are still pretty unclear to me, they were not able to sell anything to a publisher. And so with three muses, um, I had a terrific agent who did really gave me wonderful guidance on revising the manuscript that I think made it a much stronger manuscript, but she wasn't terribly interested in submitting to the independent publishers, which I think is a huge and very, very important part of the publishing industry. So I asked her if I could take the manuscript back and then I, I submitted it. And I began to see that I was placing in contests like I started to come up with finalist a couple of times and with this book and literary contest. And finally I won the Petrichor prize for finally crafted fiction from Regal house publishing, which came with an honorarium and um, a publication contract. So that was really my dream. Got it. Well, I know that your novel is set in post-World War II New York. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, the major character is a concentration camp survivor um, was there research that you did about New York at that time or about um, the Holocaust as you were working on the novel? Yes, I definitely did research. In terms of the Holocaust, I some of that I've been doing my whole life. I grew up in a very secular Jewish family, and in some ways the Holocaust was my initial introduction to Judaism. 
I had uh, relatives who were Holocaust survivors, close friends, parents. Um, it was very, very much in, on my radar. And I, I just, all through my life, have read a lot. I read a lot of fiction, nonfiction. Um, but as I was writing this novel, I checked, I had to check a lot of things. So I, the U.S. Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. has an amazing website. So I did some research that way. Um, I also, as I've gotten older, have draw, tried to draw out the stories of Holocaust survivors that I've met or children or grandchildren of Holocaust survivors because the stories are each extremely individual and extremely painful and powerful. As to New York, yes, I did do the research. I'm laughing because I started out with real names of New York buildings like Lincoln Center and Bellevue Hospital. And I realized I had to fictionalize them because I couldn't quite get the level of detail that I needed, particularly for uh, Bellevue Hospital in the 1950s. John is trained there Mm -hmm. and he practices there. And I thought, I can't, I, I couldn't find what I need to find. So I ended up fictionalizing them. Got it. And so I'm curious for you, when you're working on a novel and when you were working on three muses, what is the writing process like for you? Did once you had this idea and this framework, as you talked about earlier, did you, um, are you someone who outlines the plot or do you just dive into the narrative and kind of see where it takes you? Uh, definitely the latter. Um, in my work life as a lawyer and as, as a CEO of a foundation, um, I do a lot of outlining, but in, in fiction land, it's chaos. <laughs> so <laughs> I start, it's a nicer way to say that is that it's pretty organic. Um, and my writing mantra is write what you can, because I'm very good at thinking about what I can't do. So usually I start in the middle and sort of work my way out. And with three muses, it was a lot of trial and error. A lot of stuff ended up on the cutting room floor. Um, either characters that didn't make it in scenes that didn't make it in plot points. Also the order changed probably 10 or 12 times. So just a huge amount of trial and error. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? So I have my first mantra, which I just said, write what you can, because you're always very talented at saying, I can't do this. I can't do that. So I, in my life, if I'm about one sentence ahead of myself, I, I feel like I can continue. Even if I can't, it's a novel, it's a huge thing to visualize, even if I don't know how it's going to end or how I'm going to work this out. I try to start in the part of the manuscript where I can visualize what's going to happen maybe in the next couple of sentences. That's probably my biggest one. Second of all, do not wait for the muse to strike. Um, there is, uh, I think, much less inspiration than the average reader might think. I think it's so much about the work. It's not an accident that one of my three muses is discipline. I feel like it's hugely about just putting pen to paper, writing at your computer, whatever you do, because I think that writing begets writing and gives you ideas. So that's another piece of advice. And the third is, I think it's really good to get feedback, but I think you have to be very cautious about how you get feedback from who you get feedback from and how you receive it. Because especially as a less experienced writer, you can sort of get too many cooks 
in the broth. And then you need to step back and try to figure out what is it that I really want to do. Um, I have found very helpful readers across disciplines. Um, I have a favorite reader who's a violinist and she has a beautiful ear. Um, some people I know have painters read their work. I, I just think um, it's good to, to find readers of your manuscript who may not be trained writers. That's great. Well, you mentioned earlier that you're a fanatic reader. What novels have you read recently that you enjoyed and that you would recommend? Oh, thank you so much. Um, Jeff, this is going to take a second. I'm going to pause. <laughs> you may need to cut this. I can't do this sure. out. In my I can edit. Because I read three books a week. So hang on a second. Okay. <laughs> Just <laughs> go through the list. Um, thank you, Jeff. I love that question. I'm always delighted to um, recommend novels. Um, there are a couple of books that have come out uh, very recently. Or, like One came out this week. Um, and one came out around when mine did about two weeks ago at the time of this taping. Um, the first is called Before All the World by Mariel Rothman Zecher, which is just a gorgeous, gorgeous book about um, Ukrainian immigrants in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is my hometown, so of course I loved that. And um, it's about um, the, pogrom the Jewish pogroms in Ukraine and how life in Philadelphia felt after that. Um, it's a lot about racial justice and the language is, is superlative. Um, somehow the author managed to mix in Yiddish and make it comprehensible. It's amazing. It's called Before All the World. Um, I also just finished Dolan Perkins Valdez's novel called Take My Hand, which is about a very important part of Black history in this country in which up until the 1970s, the United States government was experimenting and doing forced sterilizations on black and brown girls. And this novel, Take My Hand, is a beautiful rendering of it where the characters are really, really interesting. And even though the underlying truth is horrifying, it's extremely readable and um, just a beautiful way to, to understand this terrible chapter in our history. Uh, also loved Lewis Bayard's Jackie and Me, which is about Jackie Kennedy. It's a historical novel told from the perspective of a real person who was a gay man who was one of Kennedy's, JFK's closest friends and became sort of Jackie's minder. Gorgeous, beautifully written. And then I'm going to stop with one more, which is a new book um, that I think you're going to, start hearing about. It's called um, Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm by Laura Worrell. I think it's getting a lot of notice right now. Um, it's it's the story of a sort of a renegade jazz musician told from the perspective of all the women that he kind of leaves in his way. It's a lovely book. That's great. Those are some great recommendations. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novel, Three Muses? Great. Well, thank you. I My website is the same as my name, so it's MarthaAnnToll.com. I have a Substack newsletter also on under that name, and I promise not to drown readers out with newsletters. I send it out every two weeks. It has a lot of book recommendations and musings. It's, it's very meant to be very light and easy to read. I would love it if you signed up for that. Again, that's on my website. 
also at Substack. I'm active on Twitter under my name, Martha Ann Toll, and on Instagram under Martha Toll. And it would be thrilling to hear from readers. And my book is available in print, ebook, and audio formats. So whatever your reading style is, you should be able to find it. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Martha Ann Toll, author of the new novel, Three Muses. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Martha, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you, Jeff. It was just a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Wonderful. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.